the black rocks and revolution. Samurai punk feminist solution. White noise, your audio pollution. This is not a test. Calling all your slaves to the grind. Coming out your grace for the mind. Had eyes, but still you are blind. This is not a test. On this episode, this is a first for Pop Money, the Pop Minority Report. And this one we did on location because Grant, we're doing Grant Cummings today here on this podcast. And um, Grant asked us to come to his house and very hospitable. And um, it's a long one. <laughs> it's about an hour and 20 minutes. But the thing is, you got to appreciate that uh, Grant's sort of my mentor as a, uh, a bass player and a singer and a performer and all that. And he basically he just goes through his whole life musical, which starts pretty early. And it's in great detail. And... Um, this capacity for deep creative and doing a lot of work at the same time is what comes out of this. And uh, just hang in there. You'll, you'll see the point of the whole story if you hang in. Let's let's get into it. Grant Cummings. So I said, well, who's they? And then Ian Thomas or Mary McLaughlin and Sharon Sutton Church. Yeah. And then the guy that wrote all those hits. Uh, I forget what his name Mark is. Mark Jordan. Thank uh, you, Mark Jordan. So, 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 so what? what? Are, are we ready? on? No, is it on? Yeah, we're ready. So you're you're the one in control. All right, so we're here. Uh, we okay. We're at Grant's house here at uh, Kitchener. This is Pop Minority Podcast people. This is me and Alan's first ever in person interview, and we're hot. <laughs> and it's uh, it's high tech. We're using um, cell phones. Uh. So, um, let's start from the beginning. So, Grant, uh, from what I remember, like, where did music start in your life? It started when I was um, four, four or five at the Duelist. My dad, the serious uh, jazz lover, and my brother, who's six years older than me, was into music since I can remember. So. I heard the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I we had um, Petula Clark and Dave Clark Five and all those records as they came out. My dad had a stereo. As soon as, as soon as you could get a stereo, it had speakers that you disconnect and spread out and stuff. But he had he had uh, he had a stereo and he had Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie and um, people like that. Joe Pass. So there's always music around our house. So I love music, and I started to sing along with everything. So you started singing really early then. Yeah, I just started singing along with everything, like all those downtown, and people know and always go downtown. And then, um, then I built these little guitars out of a hockey stick and a piece of cardboard. Yeah, it looked like looked like a guitar in my eyes. And uh, I made a, I made two or three of them so I could go around with my friends. But my brother had a little reel-to-reel tape recorder. I, I don't even know what he used it for at that point, but little reel-to-reel tape recorder. And if you click it right between play and record, the mic became live. Yeah. A little round mic, so you could. <laughs> so I would do, uh, you know, we'd go around. And I'd have my, I'd be the singer. Just seventeen, you know what I mean? Anyways, he was waving on compare. I'd be I'd be the singer, so um, I started then, and it didn't didn't go 
long way. I, I took guitar lessons when I was about eight, or I was eight. I think I, I asked for it for my birthday, and um, it didn't go that well because it was it was like on top of old Smokey at one note, and I'm and I'm I'm just taking the guitar home that my parents rented and. You know, I'm playing right down by the bridge and going, look at that sound. That sounds cool, eh? Or if you play right up past the nut, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed to learn? I'm, uh, so I, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't finish there. I did that for about two months and gave it up. And then we moved to Kitchener when I was ten, from Brantford. We moved to Kitchener, and um, you know, the bug was in me at that point and. And one of my friends had a really cheap Japanese guitar, and his, his brother, I asked for one for Christmas, I asked for a guitar for Christmas, and my parents got me a little Magnus Air organ. It's about this big, it has chords you can play, or you can play the, the keys. And uh, that wasn't real satisfying, as somebody used this in the bands and rock music and stuff. So I went and bought, my, my friend that had this cheap guitar, his brother, I just bought a trainer, a big trainer amp and a Fender guitar, brand new, because he had just started working. So he sold me his cheap Japanese guitar for five bucks. <laughs> yeah. Like on Boxing Day, I bought it off him. And that was the beginning. Gary was uh, the other guy's name. Him and I would, would uh, sit down in his basement and, and try and figure things out, which I'm sure we did a terrible job at. But we'd sit around and just try and play songs. I, I remember when... Um, I forget it was Hey Jude or Let It Be. I think it was Let It Be came out. We we sat in my parents' basement trying to figure out how to make something that sounded something like that all night. And uh, mm -hmm. just worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. And, um, you know, so, you know, we learned how to play a little bit. And, and his brother knew some chords and things and figured them out. I mean, that's, that's when everybody has their their biggest um, learning experiences when they have the interest that you know I'm like that now with recording like I, I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at you know 6.30 going I gotta go downstairs and hear what I did last night and sometimes I, sometimes I'll listen to it and I'll rub the whole thing out <laughs> yeah. frustrated but, but some days you come down and you go wow yeah and, and you, keep, you keep going my wife gets up and even downstairs, you're, you're downstairs when I went to bed. You're downstairs when I woke up. <laughs> That's right, because because it's just it's just in you, and you you yeah you want to do it. So um, we we were in that stage, and then um, we started going to Stanley Park School, grade seven, and there was some guys around that played, and um, John Rickard was the, the drummer. And he, we, he got, he's the guy, the drummer, you always practice at the drummer's house because his parents are used to noise. But So we went over there and he invited over Gary Malenik, who he had, a, he had a silver tone, really nice silver tone guitar and a silver tone amp that his dad had bought him and he was taking guitar lessons. But I knew how to play Sunshine of Your Love. Mm. And he didn't really know anything like that. He was just on early guitar lessons playing some kind of la 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 songs. And I took his guitar and went ding 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 ding. So that's like sixty eight. Ding 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 ding. It was like, 
you you the man now. Yeah. <laughs> but but shortly thereafter, for some reason, I don't remember exactly why, but I wanted to play bass. So I was uh, I walked out to Woco, Fairview Mall there, from Stanley Park. It's a hefty walk, but yeah, I would have been. Yeah. Walked out there, and they had this bass, Japanese bass, looked SG like like a double horn thing and it, I, I, I remember it was something like 35 bucks because it was as is because the E string was broken so I bought it for $35 walked back down Trev Bennett's at that point was by um, Franklin and Weber Street in this old house Trev Bennett's music shop that was a, a happening store at the time it, yeah, it's been around forever. Yeah. And um, I bought the string and went home and started to learn how to play bass. Which I, in the first while I had it, I can't remember exactly how I had it tuned, but I had it tuned wrong. Yeah. So parts were tricky to play. But mm. we went and with those same guys then, Gary and John playing drums and uh, another friend of ours, Nick, he had a, he had a nice amp. And a uh, nice guitar. He was playing, he was taking license to the conservatory, I think, and they sold they sold some nice guitars and stuff. He he was a lead guitar player because he could he could bend strings and sort of make it sound lead ish. It wasn't always in the right key or whatever. Because when you're kids, you don't it sounds good to you. But when I've heard the odd thing back, even slightly later later than that, you go, that's not the right note. Who's playing that? Mm. <laughs> Who's playing that bass note? Me. That's the wrong part. But, mm. um, so that was our first real band. And um, we hit grade eight. We had our band. So we talked them into having us play at all the dances that year at Stanley Park. That was, a, that was a big year for me. I ended up president of the school somehow. My girlfriend got me ran the campaign for me or whatever. I didn't I didn't want to do it, but I ended up president of the school. And Are you serious? I was on every sports team, and I, I set records in the 100 and 200 meter for Waterloo County running that year. We won the hockey championship for Waterloo County. We won the soccer championship for mm. Waterloo County. It was, a, it was a big year, and then we played all the dances. And we played at McGregor for their graduation. We missed our own graduation at Stanley Park because we played McGregor's graduation. <laughs> in between there, we played at um, Sunnyside School, Senior Public. And part of their deal to hire us, which they paid us almost nothing, was they rented a bass amp and something else, because I didn't have a real bass amp at that point. Right. Trap Bennett's was right across the street from <laughs> Sunnyside. But then we played four or five songs, and the teacher came out and no more of that. We're playing heavy, hmm. heavy rock music, and uh, probably not that well. And he he kicked us out. So the, you weren't you guys weren't playing the pop hits, the dance hits at all. Then you're playing like Sunshine no, and Life no, and yeah. all that. No, we weren't playing any. We were just playing songs we liked. <laughs> it's like Grand Funk, Inside Looking Out. Dun, dun. Da, 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 da. Like the pretty drums are, do, 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 do. yeah. And he's expecting us to play uh, 
Tie a yellow ribbon around <laughs> yeah. the old tree. Yeah. Uh, no, we don't know any of that. We know the pusher by Steppenwolf. <laughs> so that was uh, that was that year, and then we played lots of um, private things like people's apartment buildings, party room stuff, and things like that. That was our, our first real band. Then we we hit high school, and, and the whole thing stalled out a bit until we. Um, the summer after grade nine, there was a drop-in center at the high school, and they let us have a classroom to practice in. And somehow we scraped up enough money that we got a little PA, a little four-channel four trainer head, and two column speakers with oh, four-eighths four in them. Yeah, at the start, you know, was trainer is a Canadian company. Uh, oh, I those PAs. But they were they the big were, long speakers. Well, we had the, those, those ones were the, the we first just had these ones. They had four four eights, you know. That's the, right. Yeah, the yeah. big the, they had ones with six in, so they were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember big. lugging those things around. Right they were. Trainer, Forgot about those. Trainer were really ahead of their time in Canada. Yeah, our, my guitar, our lead guitar player had a studio mate. They're great. They're, yeah, they yeah. A trainer studio mate. Yeah, yeah and then we had the trainer PA system. Bass yeah. bass masters. Bassmaster. They had uh, something reverb. I custom, forgot reverb, all custom, about that. Custom I reverb. Custom yeah. reverb. Yeah, guys, guys look for them now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, because they're, they're all bad. the same. All those amps are based off of one circuit design, right? That RCA or somebody came up with, and then everybody took that and then just tweaked it a little bit to make it their own. Oh, I remember lugging that PA system around. Yeah. I know, but it was... The two speak tall speakers in the end the yeah, yeah. What, plug them in. Do you know what Trainer was famous for? Is for making a mixer that was powered. Yeah. That was their invention. Yeah. That just you just I brought up your memories. YBM six. YBM six. You take the lid. YBM six. It's a six channel six channel with an amp in it. Yeah. Run it out, and we had these lollipop speakers. Yeah. It's, well, I'm jumping. I'm jumping a band ahead now, but okay. Um, I I could go back quickly and. That year we practiced at, at Grand River, and we had, we played out in the gym a couple times, but Gary especially really took off. He quit school after grade nine. He had no interest in in school, but he was so interested in guitar. And uh, we used to, we used to joke because he sat. His parents had a big console stereo, and he'd sit in his was right in the middle of the front window of their house, and we'd always laugh because going the neighbors are driving by, going, "There's that poor guy. He's always sitting in the window." <laughs> <laughs> he never goes outside or anything. We don't know why. But really, he was sitting there putting, you know, slowing it down, putting it on 16. Oh, yeah, it's 33. Learning, learning machine head. Uh, Every yeah. solo off a of machine head. Lazy. <laughs> that was something. If you could play machine head in yeah, town here. Yeah, it was a big album. Like, we knew there's a guy out in Lakeshore Village. I forget what his name was, but. Supposedly he can play the whole album perfect. Highway Star. Wow, that, that guy Space knows how to play. Like, it was a big deal. So so we learned a bunch of those songs. And yeah. Lazy, Lazy, we played through a bunch of bands and, and stuff too. It was a big song. But even our, and then, so anyway, so that band sort of faded away, but Gary went out and tried out for another band because he, he needed to make a little bit of money. And... Um, he he went and tried out for a band called Seamus. The, the guys lived out near um, 
Fairview Mall out there on Woodhaven, the drummer was always at the drummer's house. Drummer lived on Woodhaven. He he went over there. He played with them and it went well. And he said, well, you guys, you, nobody really sings decent in this band. He goes, I, I get this guy that I play with that plays bass and is a singer. So he'd come in uh, and, and sing and play bass. And they're going, oh, it's worth a try. And they had a bass player then that had a, anyway. So I went on and tried out with them, played with them, and it went well. And, and um, so we decided to, to start a band, and that was our that was our real that was a real band. So what year was that? That was like seventy three, maybe. Wow, okay. seventy three, maybe something like that. And then um, we've talked about this another time, but and we then we ended up booking through Dram. Yeah, we agency. talked about Dram was like way ahead yeah. of its time. It was a booking agency that was in town, but it had the level of that kind of professional booking would only be found in like New York City or Toronto. They had they had a thousand one nighter gigs for sure. That was one nighter gigs back because then. because I played from that time because I was maybe fourteen when I started playing that fifteen some fifteen probably fifteen and um, we never played any any bars. We, Never even talked about it because we were we were too way too young. So we just played. Uh, actually, I said I'm wrong. We played the I played upstairs at the Kent ones. Kent, which is uh, what's it called now? Waterloo, the bar in the corner, big bar, big old old old. What street? Has a brewery up to it, around right King Street. Oh, at uh, Lancaster and Victoria. No, or King King Street and King Street and Bridgeport almost. Next block over. Anyway. No, yeah, okay, yeah, doesn't Let's matter. See. Yeah. And uh, we had to sit in the corner or something when we weren't playing or something. But um, that band, so that band played a lot, and we and again we were a heavy band. We we learned "Sweet Child in Time" by Deep Purple. Um, Uriah Heep, look at yourself, and and things like that that had uh, keyboard guitar thing. We're all about learning, and and the music of the time it, it advanced you quickly because you were trying to learn. We 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 played "Seen All Good People" by Yes. Whether we did a great job, I don't know, but. But we were, you know, 15, 16. The drummer was about 20. He was the oldest guy in the band, but that's the kind of music we're, we're listening to and, and learning, and we're playing um, <clears throat> Pocus Pocus by Focus. Yeah. That's all the music we're learning. more like the, you're just more in the prog, like progressive melodies. Yeah, and uh, that'd be pretty young. That's the kind of thing we're we're learning, so it's it's good for us. It's it's driving us ahead for sure. Um, I had a GBX amp at the time that I sort of I inherited from the bass player that was in the band. When he when he when they replaced him with me, he never came back and got his amp. 
And the, the only problem was, and GVX is a fantastic amp. I got, I got one in the room there. Because the amp, the head is just a preamp. And then the cabinet, there are four tens with power amp in the back. So if you had a second cabinet, you had twice as much power. You had a third cabinet. There's a couple guys around that had four cabinets. It's 16 tens. Okay, are you saying that they, even back then, they put the amp in the cabinet? Yeah, I, I, I said I got one in the room there. Okay. And it has a, I got a, actually I got a spare power amp because we were playing at a high school and the kids were helping us load out and they dropped the cabinet and all the f magnets sheared off. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. So we just we, I threw the cap. it wasn't mine to start with. I threw it in the garbage and pulled the power amp out and kept the power amp. I have it upstairs in my garage today. For some hmm. reason I have it 50 years later. <laughs> I still have that amp. But then my brother made me some amps. My brother helped me out hugely, and he drove us around. He had a band back then, and he drove us around you know, in that band, and he bought acoustic guitar. He didn't know how to play guitar. He learned how to play okay, but but really I ended up playing the, the most. Him and I went splits and bought a piano at one point. I used piano and put it in my parents' basement, and, and uh, he built me the, he was always into electronics. And he built me these, we built these bass cabinets. If you go by the spec of a, what a speaker, the cabinet volume they need, it's it's a lot. I, I got, I talked my parents into buying me a Marson 15 inch speaker for Christmas. So I just got a, a speaker. Here you go. <laughs> Marson was um, a really popular speaker manufacturer on Marsland Drive. Yeah. They were, they were both, they put it in home stereo systems. Yeah. And then, so then we made, we bought plywood and made these cabinets, which were about three feet by four feet by <laughs> 18 inches deep. Yeah. And my brother bought these RCA power amps that were like pucks. And then he built a power supply for them. He was going to Consul College at the time, electronics. He built a power supply. And we built these power amps into the, cabinets and then use the GBX head as a preamp for them. Sounds like your brother was really involved with it. He was. He, he was he was building a soundboard for a while that we were funding from our band, but we were hardly making any money. So, But there was actually a, a case, like a chassis made at one point, and a, uh, and a big deco thing that had all the channels and stuff on it, but it never went anywhere. Hmm. Well, okay. once you got one channel, you just duplicate it, right? Yeah. You just get all the electronics and the never PC got, board and you run it out. We never got that far. Again, this was 1974. There was, wow. no, there was no real big consoles yet. It would have been something. But, um, so that, that band played like crazy. Every Friday, Saturday we played. And um, Gary ended up being a Jehovah's Witness, which half of his, one half of his family was. At one point he started being a Jehovah's Witness and, and um, they made him quit the band because we were a bad influence. So I joined another band that uh, I told you Kevin Pepper was in. And yeah. The drummer, the drummer Mike and I joined up with uh, Kevin and another guy to two guitar players, bass, drums, and we started another band called The Brook. 
and just continued on with Dram playing. Okay, so you guys are giving, that means you're working every Saturday, Friday, Saturday. Every Friday, Saturday. And and I had my parents, my parents signed a a piece of paper, not a piece of paper, but they signed a thing for the school that meant I could sign out to go play gigs, which is pretty nice of them. I didn't realize it that much at the time. I just thought it was, it was cool. But, but so, every, you know, every Friday, basically, at around noon, I'm bringing going down to the office principal's permission sign the thing the guys are pulling up outside the school I'm getting in the I'm getting in a car or a, or a or a U-Haul truck or something and see you later and off I go and um did that for and again another year and a little bit that's 1975 we, we had some cool gigs we opened up actually we opened up for uh, Charity Brown on the the uh-huh. the beach at um, Sabo, whatever that was called, the pavilion. I remember being there. Pavilion. It's right on the waterfront. Yeah, we we played there and um, actually that, that's that was the weekend I started going out with my wife. That's what got why you guys knew each other. I just knew her a little bit because she she knew some other people that knew her band, so they came to. They came to Sabo to see us, and we were all camping out. And hmm. I was sleeping in the back of the truck. I didn't really plan ahead very well. So they, uh, that means you had a truck you were playing all the way from Goddard's to wherever. We, we, we played Sudbury for a one-nighter. We played Peterborough for a one-nighter. I remember doing Sudbury one-nighter. Depending on the gig, we're, we're picking up a truck. We're driving it. it was actually there was a we practiced at some some crappy places. It was one place downtown Waterloo above a shoe store, but it was on the third floor where we could store our stuff and and practice. You know what it's like to carry a PA up. Yeah, like an well, old, you guys, you guys, old base bins. All the base, all the PA. Well, when we played the Alma Combo, you used to have to bring your Ampeg amp up the back stairs. Yeah, because there's no there's no way to load in except the back stairs at well, the Elmo. Huh? We played. We played. It was a place in Brampton that was super popular called Spanky's. Oh, it, it Spanky's. was down. It was like down two sets of steps. Yeah. The Jockey Club in Hamilton was up. I remember that. Up, like three flights of steps. The Cornet was three flights. The Cornet. We used to get House of Friendship guys that we'd hire. I've hired them. They'd drop some Leo stuff on, and Leo would be. But Leo gets bad. He you've gets really You've seen Leo. Leo get bad. He's like, off the, off the deep end. There goes, duk, 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 there goes a power amp. Somebody drop your power amp, Leo. So we're we're continuing on into probably the late seventies, early eighties. No, no, we're in we're in the seventies still. But anyway, that band lasted for a while. Then Gary had some gigs, and he played a couple gigs with some Jehovah's Witness friends and then he didn't like the way it went so then he got me to come and play the gigs and then it just faded away and we started playing with the mic, the drummer again we started playing playing all the local there was, there was dozens of gigs around here like within a you know between Fergus and Mildney or not Mildney uh, Walkerton and Myra yeah okay uh, that sort of vicinity. Yeah, you're not even getting there's, there's three night. There's three nighters. Nicholson's is one of those, right? Oh, Nicholson's, right? Yeah. You're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and at the time, 
I think they paid around 600 bucks. For those three days? For three days. Pretty good money. But we were three-piece. So we'd take, we had a little PA that we owned and stuff, so we'd, we'd take 200 bucks a guy. Well, at the time, I, I, had, a, I had a job now. And I, was, I was, wasn't making tons more of that at a job. You know, not a great paying job, but an okay job. And and I'm making, you know, two seventy five in my job and I'm making two hundred bucks playing the weekend on top. So, you know, I went home and I bought two BC rich bases that cost me eighteen hundred dollars each in nineteen seventy nine. In there I got I got married in seventy seven. How are you getting married? I was twenty years old. I'm very early. I bought a house six months before that. I was 19 when I moved into my, my first house. And uh, two weeks later, I turned 20. I had my 20th birthday in my, my own house. I was, I was pretty excited. Thought this, this life thing seems pretty easy. But you're at your first house before you're 20? Yeah. Wow. And... Um, and then, you know, then we're playing, we're playing every weekend, all through there. And I started taking reading, music reading lessons. I was taking theory lessons off of Paul Stauffer. Oh, yeah. And then I, I was looking for, I wanted to learn how to read music. And uh, so the drummer that I was playing with, uh, with this at the time said, well, there's this guy, Rick Hutt, he, he teaches lessons. Rick Hutt was a good one was um he owns, well, he was one of the guys that owned Cedar Tree. Oh, okay. he owns Cedar Tree now. I mean, okay. he still runs it. Okay. Yeah. Runs out of his house. At the at the time, he he was he was sort of the main guy in in town that was producing and he was writing jingles and things. But they're all done out of Waxworks in St. Jacobs, which is owned by Jim Evans. And um, he came out to. Long story short, I, I took, was taking these lessons off of Rick, but we just end up talking about music more than we do any lessons. I can always remember his wife coming down and going, okay, <laughs> you guys been down there for two hours talking. But uh, so Rick, Rick came out to see us in Stratford at the something, whatever, the, the first uh, intersection where there's a Tim Hortons on the right still, I think. Is this on the main across, drag? Across, yeah, across yeah. the street, there's like a Queens or something. Yeah, we played there. We played there once. I know we only played there once, but Rick came out to see us there, and uh, he was pretty impressed. Luckily, and and so he's like, well, "I'll get you to come and sing on freaking jingles and back up some people's albums, and and uh, and you can play, you can play and stuff, and uh, and Gary a little bit for playing too." And so the next thing, the next thing, here I am. I'm. Again, I'm 20 years old. Now I'm, now I'm recording jingles, and you know I'm singing Fairview Mall. I, I did Alexanians. I did Fredericks Gallery. You know, just just all kinds of local things. The place it's the Stone the Stonecrock because <laughs> they played that till about two years ago. And I think they closed up this year, but. I'm going, there's that jingle I did friggin' 40 years ago and got paid 75 bucks. 
Oh, the commercial that yeah. lasted that long. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stonecrock, okay. There's a place, it's a stonecrock. Spend a leisurely way. No, spend a leisurely day in the old-fashioned way in the country. I don't know why I can remember that one. Waterloo County. Something. Gifts and specialty. Hey, there's a place. It's stone crying. It's really low, but really smooth. Anyway, start doing a bunch of album work and and uh, and all that. And um, Mike Oberly was doing it at the same time. He used to be. He was in Ian Thomas's band when Ian had a full time band for. He was in it for five years or something, I think. But Ian broke up his band because it was. It was. It was just not financially that feasible, I think. So he broke up his band. So Mike was teaching tennis, and he was doing playing and singing and jingles and stuff as well with Rick. So he said, "You want to start a band?" I'm going, sure. You're from the Ian Thomas band. The Ian's band was one of the best sounding bands around, and I think a lot of it was because of Leo, but. I thought it was all the guys in the band, but but they're all, they were all good players as well. But Leo was, at the time, had an edge over most of the sound guys around. It, it sounded hi-fi-ish, comparatively. And uh, Ian's band always had tons of vocals. Anyway, so I said, sure, and so we met. I can remember we met up at Chicopee, because Mike was teaching tennis out there, too. Well, that's right. During the summer months, they had a yeah. courts. Yeah, so we, we met out there and and said, well, you want to start a band? I, yeah, I said, want to start a band. So I said, I'm going to bring Gary with me. Because we, we were still playing all the time, Gary and I. And we were playing with Pete Beacock and Ed Miller from Major Hoopals. Because they'd come off, they'd been, they'd stopped playing too. They weren't playing anymore. So they were, they were the other two guys that were in our band at that point. And um, so I said, uh, was Gary come? Mike wanted somebody else. We were talking to Gary. And then we looked for keyboard players, and we wanted to get Rick, but he wouldn't come because he was too way too busy. But finally, we, we tried out some other guys, and we nagged and bugged and and talked Rick into it. And so Rick ended up being our keyboard player. That was our first version of, of Glider. And we, we did a lot of cool stuff. And we were, we were well... We received very well right off the bat, and we did some cool stuff. We did a Beach Boys medley, we did a Beatles medley, um, we did Super Tramp and stuff like that, and some Steely Dan, and um, a bunch of cool, cool music at, at the time. You, you could still get away with the bands before that. So long as you did a good job, you could play whatever you wanted. People were so accepting back then. I, I listen to, I have tapes from Nicholson's and things like that. We're playing, we're playing Chuck Mangione. And after that, we're playing some heavy rock tune. Then we're playing, you know, like, it's eclectic. Like, like you can't believe, but they're just all songs we like. But people were, would accept it. They, they also would come on the dance floor. Yeah. Even if you're playing. Yeah, they, they just, uh. People weren't so segregated musically as much then, I don't think. So, hmm. anyway, we played lots of cool stuff in Glider, and then I was still working 
Though I, I, I cut down to half days because I was playing six nights a week. But the, where I was working, the guy goes, well, you got to work mornings, though. So I had to try and have a nap in the afternoon. But um, We played for probably six months or so, and then Ian Thomas came out to see us play in, the, at the, uh, in Campbellville. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Campbellville, where, the, where the Mohawk right. racetrack is there. Yep. They said they had, a, they had a pretty big bar in there where they had bands every weekend and we are playing there and he came out to see us and goes, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do a tour for this album I'm bringing out. So you guys want to be the band? That'd be cool. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just started playing full. I'm not even playing full time yet. I'm still working. So for my first gig, I'm playing with a recording, pretty popular recording guy. And that's my, my first foray in the, a real full-time musician thing, so I quit work and we did rehearse at Ian's place. And I think from August until Christmas, we did we played with him. So what what album was that? Was it a popular album? I don't know. Um, it was. I don't know what it's called. I, I remember Ian Thomas and Glider. Well, he 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 had an album called Glider. Yeah. There was a slate of a song. Which was the album before we played with it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I forget what it's called. All right. So he was, uh, did you guys go across the country or just play around Toronto? We went, we went, we went from Ontario and East. Yep. And we played the Misty Moon, which is a, at the time was sort of the biggest club, I think, in the country. It was in Montreal? No, it was in Halifax. Okay. It was it's a big place. Actually, I have I have recordings of that gig. It, they started to show up on one day. They just started showing up on the internet. Ian Thomas, nineteen eighty one or nineteen. I think it's nineteen eighty one, eighty or eighty one. At the Misty Moon. Where did this guy get these tapes? Somehow, he had. They must have built in main um, left and right lines or something because you know I talked to Leo about it and Leo's going I'm, I'm, I didn't know case somebody record us at the Misty Moon but this is for sure off like a board tape it's not a it's not microphones so Leo Leo was our sound guy at the time Leo's been I don't think I met Leo he was also Ian's sound guy before that when when he still had a full time band then he worked for Zon and a few bands like that. Wow. So, um. I mean, before that, he'd already mixed Ian Thomas at the CNE Stadium. Where they opened for the Beach Boys. So that would have been a sold out show. Yeah, and that's in 1978 or something like that. Like, it's a long time ago. Hmm. Anyway, that that was the beginning of, of Glider, and, and uh, we we were we were working on originals, you know. We never worked quite hard enough on them, but but we were we were into it, and we played like a half dozen original songs a night when we played, and um, twice we we were we had demos paid for 
Because back then you had to record at a recording studio, right? There's no, there's no other way to to record or really record a rock band. So we had our, I believe it was RCA and CBS, both paid for six or eight tuned demos, which we we did both of them at Sounds Interchange in Toronto. Oh. And they foot they foot the bill, and the deal was well if it. If it went anywhere, you'd split the publishing with them on all the all the tunes that you record. So we did that, and it didn't, you know, didn't go. So um, we ended up switching keyboard players with um, Rick for Donnie Poulton. I don't know if you know Donnie Poulton. He played in one of the bands at Lulu's too. He played in Cats. Ended up playing keyboards. He's in. Um, Lighthouse now, plays in Lighthouse, and he does a lot of the Jeans and Classics shows. Skip Prokop, I remember dealing with him um, in the early 90s when they reunited. Yeah. I don't know if he's around anymore, but... Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if he is either. Yeah. We need to, I mean, so, where am I now? We're in the 80s now, 81. 81, we're playing with Ian. We went out and played, did our demos, they didn't go anywhere. And um, got to be, it was 84. In 83, we played in Florida in 83 and 84 for a month during spring break. That's a party. Wow. We played a bar called City Limits both years. It's about a 1,500-person club. But they'd have a turnover, a 100% turnover, because... If you came between 7 and 11 and you paid $10, it's free t-shirts, all you can drink. Are you serious? Yes. That wouldn't happen now. No. That'd be an all of... They, they still have, you know, compared to us, they have super lax, thicker rules, right, compared to us. But, yeah, so they had, the t-shirts all had, you know, they're all seconds, they got little holes in them or something, but you get a t-shirt and, and, and so those people... We didn't start till around 10.30, so those people were stumbling out and on their way, and then a whole other crowd came in, and we played. At the time, I think we played till about 2, which was way later than here. And uh, we played that two years two years in a row, but after the second year, Donnie, our keyboard player, was leaving, and that's when we went three-piece, and like the music you heard before. Thomas Dolby, that's when we were a three-piece. Actually, I found a video of that. I was watching the other day from the uh, Riverside in Oakville of us playing in the three-piece the three-piece where we, I played keyboard. I played a lot of keyboards. I saw you play in 84. That's when I was introduced. It was, um, you're playing a lot of the, um, I got to have a shot. Oh, ZZ Top was big. Oh, yeah. 83, 84-ish. Yeah, we were It's a little later than Yeah, was that? ZZ Top is, yeah. Just a hair. Give me all your love. Didn't it? 85. Oh, 85-ish. Yeah. And Sharp Dressed Man. Sharp Dressed Man, those two went together. Yeah, yeah we used to do that one. Yeah. The, um, Everybody did that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... Anyway, anyway, these um, Rob Cressman, the one guy that booked our band a lot, him and uh, Rob Farnham, another guy, played in 
couple different bands and we were, you know, played like we same all the same venues we played. They were into this. They sort of discovered that many had just, just barely came out. And they, they come up with this idea to have videos with the music. That's what I remember. And don't have a full band. I remember you guys playing. So they, they approached me and said, will you quit your band and come and join Rob? It'll just be the two of you. And it'll be a 9x12 video screen on the back of the stage and a three-gun Sony projector, which had to be set up every gig yeah. because it would jiggle and then it would all be out of convergence, so you'd have to reconverge at every, mm-hmm. every gig line up the grids and as best you can. I mm. didn't I didn't do that, the crew guys did that. But um yeah and, and during this whole time, ever since we started Glider, every rock band that was worth their salt had at least a five ton truck. Cube vans Go away, you're not a you're not a real band if you got a cube van. So you guys are carrying everything, lighting you carried at least three crew guys. Wow. Four, most of the time four, which again we, we could have made we could have made twice as much money the whole time. But we were in, reintroduced to it through you know, sort of the Ian Thomas version, which again he was a successful recording guy of playing like that, but we adopted that because that's that's what they knew. Leo and Mike and those guys knew and so that's what we knew. So we, we had a 24 foot 5 ton with an overhang with a sleeper and uh, and away, away you go so um, I don't know why I started talking about that but I think that the the idea of playing along the video oh because we had huge, huge oh I know what I was thinking of because we had a huge amount of equipment but when we went with the, the two piece we had more equipment because we went on and got more lights. Like ACLs? Yeah, I remember yeah. We had bars of them laying behind us on the stage, pointing straight up. Because just more entertainment value, right? Yeah. So we had like 48 lights, which at the time, that's a huge amount of lights. That was huge. And, and you know, a triple, triple Martin Bin PA. And um, now we didn't have, now we didn't have, this is, Part of my evolution, we didn't have Leo's P anymore. Because when we went three piece and, and Leo started Lulu's oh, in eighty yeah, four. Right. Yeah. Leo left our band because he got offered the job to be the house guy at Lulu's. Well, who doesn't want the house gig at Lulu's for a sound guy? Yeah. So off he went, but when he left I'm going, Well, I'm not gonna rent Leo's PA anymore. Leo's been renting us a PA this whole time for the last almost five years. So I said, well, I'll go get my own PA from Sherwood and rent it back. Well, at first, the band was just renting it, but then it was it was just me that was renting it. Yeah, it had, I remember it was um, the Martin rig. Yeah, I had my Martin bins. The Martin and the Martin bins. I didn't have Martin. I didn't have Martin mids. So Martin mids always sound like this. Another duck. Yeah, like this, and I had butterfly mids. They were smoother. 
till the 12. Anyway, um, we went, yeah, we went to the, I went in this two-piece, but we had a huge amount of gear. And it was, like, if I did that today, it would be advanced. Like, people would still be going, wow, hmm. this guy's got videos freaking to, we had it for about you know, 70% of the songs. Some of the songs would just go with regular lights and stuff. So to have, you know, we'd go out and rent, you know, again, it was great for your creativity too, because not only do we have to, now we got to sequence the drums, which yeah. we, we would do the drums bar by bar. We'd listen to them and there's a little at the end of that bar. We'd put it in there, loaded up on our um, RX-11 Yamaha drum machine, which is the best sounding one at the moment. Then we dumped the memory into the computer, which the the um, PC you used, it, it just had a rolling box. It was called a 401 mini box. That was, that was it. And the program was just called the same thing because it was so um, early. There wasn't a lot to choose from. You guys were doing this back then. And, se and sequencing, like you couldn't... Um, it had quantizing. We never used it because most of the time it would it would screw up, and then yeah, you know. So we're we're playing like Susudio by Phil Collins going. Playing the bass part. But you get three quarters of the way through the song, go. Oh, <laughs> start again. I'll get it. Oh, I guess you guys would go and write the parts and then record it in the MIDI. We'd, rec we'd record the parts into the computer. Oh, yeah. And you then, guys the, com then the computer would play it, play the keyboard live. Yep. We, we wouldn't record those sounds, like not on You record tape. the information. Record the information. So we had... Rob on his side had two keyboards. And I had two keyboards and the computer on my side. And then we had a drum machine. And then we had two, I, actually I still have the speakers in my recording room, the uh, JBL 15 and a horn speakers we had on the back of the stage behind us that we'd run the um, keyboards and the drums through. And then I had a bass amp and Rob had a guitar amp. So when you're playing, you got, you got the, the bands playing behind you. Now, and so you're synchronized to the video. And we're synchronized to the video, which I would switch. I had the power to switch tape sync. This song's tape sync, so I tape sync it. The sound man had a had a VCR at the back. Push play. We'd hear. Off you go, right? Okay, so you're playing. Cool. Along. You're not even synchronized to the video. You're just playing along with it. Yeah, we're playing along with the video, with the music. We're playing along with the keyboards and the drums. I know, but you didn't have any sync. You just listened to the, the beginning of the, the, the track. Like there was a three, four, and you started in. playing along with it. Yeah. Holy wow. You know, um, that would be so advanced. What's so advanced? There's only one, one place. Nags Head North in Toronto. We're playing there. And Canadian Musician Magazine comes out to write an article on us. And for some reason, and they, luckily the guy didn't notice, but we were playing 
something and, and somehow the, the FSK it's called tape sync that was sort of like your your old phone thing from the internet like it was one of those okay, yeah. it's got code on it yeah that's what's coming through there if you play it through the PA well somehow we're getting a, some kind of ground loop with the lights and the busier Jeff's doing the lights the song's speeding up a little bit <laughs> getting faster <laughs> but we, we we made it through but um yeah it worked pretty well or it worked actually it worked great not even pretty well it worked great and and we would sit there it was great like i was going to say before it's great for your creativity because not only you're, you're learning the drum parts you're learning the keyboard parts you're learning your parts you're learning the singing parts then you're sitting back and going would be cool with this song like we were doing Wouldn't It Be Good by Nick Kershaw at the time. And it has the middle part. Um, don't want to be here no more. I don't want to be here no more. And I thought, I'm going to get tr movie Tron. And there's a part where they did, the guy gets digitized. And it's like this. And the guy's disappearing, right? And we, we use we oh, yeah, okay. we use that as, as one of the clips, right? Or we did... We did Born to Run by Springsteen. We took all stuff from Easy Rider. And right when it does that, yep. when it hits the accent and comes back in, the motorcycle blows up. There's a motorcycle blowing up in the movie, right? So it's all that stuff that you're thinking oh, no, of. You know, you know it would be cool if we, we took them. And so we had our own editing. We, it was just VHS. Yeah. But it was two machines and a, and a board in the middle. So you play your clip off here, yeah. and then you record, you'd, you'd, you'd map it out, okay, I want to go from this point to this point, and it would take it and record it over onto here. And then you go, okay, what's the next clip we want? You go through and you you'd do all your clips. Wait a minute, are you telling me, I don't remember this, are you telling me that you weren't actually playing along with the video of that song, you are actually writing the video yourself? Everything well, was, we made up the videos. Yeah, they edited you know their own videos. Yeah. Are we you edited, serious? Edited, yeah. Every video we edited ourselves. Yeah, it's crazy. That it that would that, there was a, there was a movie was by Peter. Nobody was doing that. Yeah. Peter somebody. Nobody. Called Coin Coin of Squatsky, I think. You'd have to get. You'd have it's just all this weird visual stuff, like like you know the the car is going way too fast, and slow motion camera work, so it's just streaming lights and stuff. We did black cars. You got all these these cars racing across the screen, and just the you just see trails of their lights and stuff. Did you ever crew with you? Yeah, we had two guys, Jeffy, Jeff Moore that worked for me ever since Glider. I took him through every band I went in. He went with me. You mean Bill Saintemore? No, Jeff Saintemore. <laughs> he was the, he was a light guy for for most of, or for a bunch of the time. And then the last version of Glider that I had for 10 years with Gary, um, Jeff was, he did sound and lights, because then, I, then I'm, now I'm going, I don't even want to pay t for two guys, because I'm doing the sound checks myself, because I'm that kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm out doing the sound check myself, then I need somebody to babysit the faders, babysit the faders, turn turn the odd part up and down. Mm -hmm. And Jeff was, Jeff was... He loved music, so he had his natural feel for that. And he was so he'd do lights. We did, um, well, this jumping ahead, but 
anyway, this, so the system system was way way ahead of its time, and again, it would it'd be ahead. Of, it'd still be ahead of its time. Yep. If you showed up somewhere and you saw a two piece band, at you know, I don't know, pick some some bar you can go to and see a band, and uh, they got a screen that's all edited video things that go with the music, you'd be going, that's freaking neat. Quar did a bit of that. Like a video video wall. Yeah. I watched Guar do it. Some places. Some places the video projector is in the middle of the dance floor. Because <laughs> the, the owner guy, he, he'd he be like, we're like, well, we're going to have to make the video pretty small because the thing goes wrong. I'm, I'm paying for the video and you guys in the video and stuff. But okay. Well, people dance in front of it once in a while and stuff. What, what was the name of that act? The System. Oh, The System. system. You guys played The Matador. Yeah, I would have played The Matador. Uh, okay, so what was the, that? That was the, the, the. I was playing the Matador when my daughter was born. Actually, that was in Glider, but. Yeah, so, so the system played for about a year and a, a bit, and then Rob wanted to go and do a solo thing, so I went into this uh, other band called Foreign Exchange, so the video thing just went away. But I was into the. Uh, yeah, I was into the MIDI and everything by then. What? When was Jamie born? I remember you used to bring it on your shoulder in 80, the mornings. 80, uh, 84, December 21st, 84. You used to bring her into the Sherwood. And I brought Fraser in too when he was little. Fraser born in 89. Yeah, I remember that. I was playing in Hamilton. Because you would, you would take care of the kids during the day. Yeah. Well, first I haven't watched TV while it's in and out in the morning. But, um, yeah, so that lasted for, for a while. There was a band called Foreign Exchange. It was a fantastic band, all great players and things, but everybody gets antsy and wants to do something else. So the drummer and the keyboard player from that, they went off to do a two-piece thing. And um, I, I started glider backup. I called Gary, who was playing at Luna's at the time. And uh, we found a drummer, and I brought Jeff, and... I already, I already owned the PA and the lights at that point. I, I went out and bought a truck. And uh, so, you know, I, I took the risk, but in the long run, I, I did pretty well off it because I owned all the equipment that the band rented. I think at that time, I remember you were, you were mixing side stage. Nope. In mixed side stage for forever in that band actually. Jeff 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 was a sound guy and, and, and in nineteen ninety two I bought the first Pro Mix digital board that came through Sherwoods because I happened to be there when Sean can't remember his last name, but it's a sales guy. And he brought the Pro Mix in and he's shown it to Jalari and stuff and I'm going 16 channels. I had a 24MC2404 20, at the time, which a lot of people use the Yamaha board. But, you know, it's just this big, and he's showing it's this big, and it's got the effects in there. So that's there there you know, that was the first incarnation of a digital console. Yeah. Motorized so, faders. Motorized faders. This is, this is early. Two, two monitor mixes, two yeah. monitor mixes, two effects. This is early in the game of digital. Early. But yeah. that thing worked. It's still in my workshop. The Yamaha. It still works. Yamaha is, um, they hit it both fronts. They hit it 
at reliability and quality and usability. Yeah, right up the hump. Like, I didn't do anything to that board for years and years and years. I would replace a couple faders over the years. That was it. So I, I thought when you guys played, when you guys played, uh, when you guys played downstairs at, at the Dard, I don't remember there being sound tech. Yeah, there was. Huh. I just thought you mixed off stage or on stage. I mean, no, I think at the Dard we always had a, we always had a guy. He was right at the back of the room, right by the other sta- where the other stairs came down. So everybody knows the Dard was, it's, well, I don't know if it's open now, but they played downstairs and it was like a bowling alley, but the bowling alley was gone and they had to put up more beams underneath the floor to keep the floor from sagging. Yeah. And That's so, I, was, I was there when Spirit of the West was playing. And, the and they started. Playing, they, they started playing uh, "Home for a Rest." Home for a rest, and the whole. And everybody started jumping, and we're just watching the floor deviate, like. Uh, yeah, I remember four that. Four inches or something. The, the floor of the whole room going. I actually, I was at the monitor desk, and I was starting to worry. Was there, was, like, there was a few bars like that where where people left. people start dancing and jumping and stuff, and the, you know those big Martin PA stacked up were pretty tall, and you starting to you could see the PA going like this. Uh oh. So we're, uh, it's just a story we're doing. Um, it's Burton coming solo uh, upstairs, the dart, and he's just with his piano and himself. And you guys are playing downstairs. And, you know, Burt's doing a quiet song, and then you guys are boom, boom, playing like cover songs, right? And then Burt stops the show and he goes, either I'm playing or they're playing. <laughs> and so with it, you guys had to stop. Till the set was over, yeah, because it bummed the people downstairs because they were there to dance, right? Yeah, and they were like, "Well, we can't play." Yeah, <laughs> we had a lot of we had a lot of fun there. We were we were their house-ish band for a handful of years there. Where between May twenty fourth and Labor Day, we'd play forty something days there downstairs. Uh, yeah, like we we play the long week. We play the long weekend in May, then we play another full week in June for sure. Then we play. How many years did you do that venue? Oh, a long time. We played the Dar- or the Diconia before that, which is down the street. It was a, it was an already part. So you you never stay overnight; you just go home. No, we stayed there lots, depending on what was going on. Didn't you used to play? Did you had a house gig? No, I think you. Would, um, this is early on. I drove, like later on when I worked at Sherwood, we were still playing full weeks at the Dart, and I was driving back and forth every day. Yeah, it's about, you could squeeze it down about an hour and 45. No, you couldn't. Not that short. Whatever you're Two, doing. 215, maybe. You were able to squeeze it down. Yeah. Uh, didn't you do a stint in Dubai? Yeah. That would have been early on. Like, Dubai um, wasn't that big back then. Um, it wasn't It wasn't what it is by now, by any stretch. But it was still, you know, we went to the, they took us to the gold soup. They call it, which is Souk is a mall in, it's what they call a mall, but it's like an outdoor mall. It's a hundred, hundred yards long, and all they are is gold stores. Every window is full of gold and stuff. Yeah, okay. You just walk along going, what the? Hey, look, look at this thing. It's a, it's a headpiece that has some chains down that goes into a shoulder thing for a woman. It's, it's a uh, two hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Yeah, it's hanging in the window. 
Like it was, it was something. That was that was late. That was late in the. Um, that was near the end of the world as we know it. For me, so that was when bars no longer had bands six nights a week. That's when it was no longer viable to play in a band as a living. Yeah. It end, It ended right at that, right in 94, 95, when it ended. I, I started Sherwood in 96. Just because it just dried up. Mm-hmm. Just dried up. Gary moved to, I think we're missing a bunch of stuff, but okay. Gary moved to um, Florida in 94, I think. His sister put him in the green card lottery and he got a green card, so he moved down to Florida where she already had moved to. And um, I remember I remember the dates because I hired I hired him to play in Dubai because the guitar player that was playing with us at that point, he was taking the recording program at Fanshawe and he couldn't take off the six weeks that we were gonna go for. And I, I did I did we all did well off the Dubai gig because we kept saying no and those kind of people don't like when you say no so you know some other people I think Bobby Becker went over in a band that they put together to play there it was the, the guy that booked our band at the time um, <clears throat> he was booking a guy named Robbie Ray a lot too and he knew a girl that was a stewardess for Emirates Air and she was she would go to this club in in Dubai called the, the Lodge and she she you know got to know the manager and stuff and she's going eh, we got better bands than this in Canada he's going well hook me up so she knew Robbie Ray so she got they set it all up and he went over and played there and they liked his band and is there more bands like this in Canada there's freaking tons well let's set it up so then for at least a couple of years, they booked all the bands that went there. Mm-hmm. But all the bands would go for three months. But you know, I'm married. I got I got two kids, and and, and um, also I'm I need to make I need to make at least the same money I make with the PA and the truck and the lights and everything. Why do I, I, I want to go there? Mm-hmm. So they kept offering us this much money. And, it's three months and we'll give you this much money. No. Okay, it's two and a half months and this much money. No. Okay, it's it's a month and it's this much money. No. <laughs> so we ended up agreeing on, we ended up going, we actually went for six weeks, but the first, first week we just did two one-nighters as our queen band. So Fritzy, Dave Belbeck. Fritz, yeah. We played bass and... And the Queen Band, he just came over for a week and did two gigs and went home. Then we stayed for five more weeks and played in the club. That was, that was cool. You know, you never have an experience like that in your life. Like driving, we got there, we got there at night. Again, you know, no real paperwork. I have a piece of paper, I think it's in one of those books now, actually, in my room, and it says I'm an accountant. <laughs> we were all different professions. We get to Dubai, 
you see a guy over where the airline crew goes through waving us through. Yeah. Come over here. And he's arguing with some guy and just tells us to go through and argues the guy and we leave. Yeah. We don't have the right paperwork, visas, nothing, but, you know, here we are today. I don't think they can come and get me. No. Yeah. Um, so, um, because you have to, Alan, you have to be aware. Uh, 6.30. So, um, the, um, the one thing I didn't say about Glider that, that we did a fair amount of, we backed up mamas and papas and things like that. Oh, wow. Like we were the, they would play at Lulu's oh, and then because. Oh, Rob, Lulu's, right. Rob, right. Rob that booked our band booked for a while, him and uh, I think Bill Jeff Ross was his name. They were sort of partners in booking everything at Lulu's. So, you know, Peter Noon of Hermits, Hermits would come to Lulu's, plays three nights, then we'd do another four nights or something, and we'd be his band. Or the Mamas and Papas, like we did, we did a handful of one-nighters and three-nighters, and then we did a little northern tour of all the Sudbury Grand Theater and the... Yeah. North Bay something or other in the Sault Ste. Marie. We played at a big hotel in Sault Ste. Marie. I remember that. North Bay is the uh, community auditorium. Yeah. So it looks we, like center and square. Yeah. The, the, whatever the theaters where we, we did a tour. Oh, no, sorry. That's Thunder Bay. Mama's Pop is doing that. And um, Peter Noon, we did, a, we did a lot of shows with Peter Noon. We did a, we did a Del Shannon show. We did... Uh, hmm. We'll do a bunch of platters shows. Mm. The weirdest thing is we did. We played this place in Hamilton called Carmen's, and yep. they did these neat shows where they'd they'd have um, they'd have a guy come out as an announcer, a comedian guy announcer. Then they have like a dancing, you know, dancing girls from one of the dancing school things, right? Um, then the then the comedian announcer guy do a little set. Then we'd play a set. Then they'd have the headliner who we'd back up, yeah. and for the whole thing, we're using my PA and lights and, oh, okay. and stuff. And we'd play there for three weeks hmm. at Christmas because that's the big hall. So if your company, you could come and go. I need twenty people, so I need two tables, or whatever it works out to. So you could you could bring a hundred people, but the place sits a thousand people. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, gardens, so, yeah. So, you know, you, you bring whatever. So it was, it was a great thing for companies like that because it was a big show that they wouldn't be able to afford except for they're just part of a mm -hmm. group. So we did that a bunch of years in a row and we would be the, We weren't always the, the backup band. Um, we did Martha Reeves there and she brought her own band. I think it was great. And, she she had she had an issue with me because she thought I was sabotaging her because I was an opening act and I was a PA guy. Well, you're you're playing and you don't have a PA for it. Yeah, so that would have been a good gig. Yeah, it was a great gig. But, but but we did the platter we did the platters there more than at least two years in a row. But if you came to see the show the two years in a row, the only the only three people that are the same are the. Three guys in the band. <laughs> That's yeah. us. The rest of the singers are all different. Did you? Um, did, were you the guys that backed up? What's his name? Um, Chuck Berry. No, he didn't back him up. 
Gary might have. Gary might have at one point. Gary was out. Gary played in Cats for um, that almost three years when I played in different bands. When I quit Glider, he played in Cats. But it was fun doing those shows, and 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 they were there was a little bit of reading the the charts. Those guys, what they give you is they here's a work tape, here's a live show. Yeah. Here's like chord charts. And, you know, the, the bass guys, like my version, I was playing bass, they'd have the odd scribble little line to make sure you played that part or something, right? And then you would have a rehearsal with their MD, their music director. You'd have a rehearsal with him the first day. Now with the singers. Peter Noon brought a guitar player, the mums and papas brought a keyboard player, the platters brought a keyboard player. And, um... Yeah, just run through a bunch of the show and away you go, right? Hmm, that'd be fun. Oh, and I missed I missed a whole episode. I forgot we started a Queen tribute band in 1991 when Freddie died. What was it called? Bohemian Rhapsody. You guys are Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. And we played, we played in, uh, I said we played in Omen, in Muscat, the capital of Omen. In the Middle East, as a one nighter outside, the holiday in there, this big open area. We played there, and um, and we played in Dubai. We headlined this outdoor concert thing in Dubai, and um, that's where I was talking about. Today it'd be different, probably. I don't know how different, but we're crossing the border between Dubai and Oman, and we're just sitting there, and and. Uh, we're the only ones that have pants on. So everybody else has the dish dash mm -hmm. things on. And um, the guy that's, the guy that keeps coming over our vehicle, our van we had, mm -hmm. we just had our stage, our stage gear in. He legitimately got a patch for one eye and he's in that dish dash stuff and he just keeps <laughs> growling out stuff at the guys. And we had a driver and, and a, sort of an escort guy and, They'd argue a little bit, and then he'd walk away, and we were there for maybe two hours. And then um, the guy that's escorting us goes, well, you come in with us. You're, you're the main guy. Well, I, why do I got to go in? <laughs> I don't want to go inside. Well, come on, let's go inside. Okay, so we go and we sit at some guy's desk, and they argued back and forth a bit. And, and finally we drove away, but... They were tearing all these trucks apart and stuff when we were there. We were, we were a little nervous. Yeah. Because you don't know, you have, you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, you're in another country, man. Like it's... Oh, it's a, it's a weird place. Like, if it's not irrigated, it's dirt. So as soon as you're going out of town, sure. there's an exact line. The, the water just stopped right stops there. there. Now, it's, gonna... now it's just hard dirt. Yeah, you know, if you have irrigation there, you can grow anything. Yeah, because you get sunlight all the time. And we work. made him, we made him pull over when we were driving along because there was a camel in the back of a pickup truck that was pulled over. But hey, look at look, there's a camel in a pickup truck. Pull over, come on. Guy pulls over, turns around, drives us back. Look at this. We went and rode camels out in the middle of the desert to where you couldn't see anything. Do you have an escort? Yeah, but they, they didn't speak any English or anything. Oh, so you got to do stuff while you were there. Oh yeah, we wandered around every day. You, 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 you 
<laughs> it's not super bad, but you 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 feel like you're you're what it's a little bit a little bit of what people would feel like if they're in the minority or, or you know people people were looking at us weird and mm. you know coming onto their doors and because we're wearing little little Adidas track shorts and tank tops and we're there during Ramadan the religious month and we're wandering around and they're looking at us like yeah. Wendy, what are you doing what I had garbage thrown on me on the beach one day by some local teenager guys did you um didn't you have a a house gig at Blue Mountain a house gig I can't remember. Yeah, I didn't know house gear. I used to I used to play there every year. It was a great gig, and you got free skiing and stuff. There's like the chalet or something. We we stayed at different different places there. Sometimes some of the years you had rooms. Some years there there was a there was like a daycare facility that had a big apartment up above it that we had for a couple of years, and then we had stayed a place down the street. It was great. The the first year we played there. We didn't. None of us knew how to ski, so you could get free ski lessons as part of playing there. So we're taking the ski lessons, but we're we're like on a flat thing. Like there's there's six year old kids, and then there's the guys in the band. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was funny, but but I caught on right away. Once I figured out it was just like a, doing a hockey stop, the turn. Oh, okay, now I got it. And uh, I came home and I bought all my whole family. Everybody's getting skis. We're starting skiing. And I remember seeing there one day. I don't know why I was there. I used to go up with our agent. We'd go up to Blue Mountain just for something to do. We'd, we'd call each other. Hey, it's, it looks like a good ski night. We'd, it's three in the afternoon. We'd leave and we'd get up for night skiing and ski till 10 and drive home. Hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, the Dubai thing, was a, it was a cool experience. Jeff, Jeff and I, the sound light guy that worked with. That's the other thing is, is I made him pay us enough that I could pay Jeff too. And nobody took a sound guy there. It was a side of stage soundboard. Like it was just a simple setup and sound guy. Nobody brings a sound guy. Well, we're not coming then. Well, okay. <laughs> I think it's the same idea when when you when the when the record labor said, um, listen, we're gonna record some songs and you're like, Okay, well, we're not paying for it. I mean yeah. you guys want to do it. Yeah, you know we'll show up and do the studio time, but yeah. we're not gonna we're out making money doing this other stuff. Like it's up yeah. to you guys, right? Yeah, like I said, in in hindsight, and, and maybe I'm not talented enough anyway to, or at the time didn't have the imagination to write the right songs anyway. But you never know that. But we were caught up in the. We had a job. Yeah, we were playing six nights, six nights a week, every week, unless we booked it off. That's what we called the agents that we don't want to work that front end. And, and we would do that sometimes so we could work on originals or learn new songs. Uh, two weeks on that, or not two weeks, next month, we're going to take that Monday to Wednesday off. Because you'd have gigs that were just Monday to Wednesday. Wednesday to Wednesday, they'd hire a band. Yeah. And then the back end, you do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. A different, a different band on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because they pay different amounts, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So you'd get so much for a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, some places were full weeks. You know, the bar in Sarnia, Camel Street Station, that was probably the best bar in the province, for sure. Was that in a hotel? It was big. No, it was just a big 
remember. It, it means they got a lot of the people. railroad tracks were behind, but it was just a big square building with a with a nice big stage. It was about four feet tall and you know maybe thirty two feet wide and twelve feet deep or something like that. Big dance floor and just a big place. So you know. Uh, uh, like a 700 seater or something, right? Or not seater, 700 capacity. So a big, big room, and then they get a lot of Americans, right? Yeah, because the drinking age is different. Port Huron was right across the street. Yeah, so there's there's a modern amount of fights there, but they had had real, real uh, bouncer guys that were good at it. You know, they didn't, didn't. flail at anything and somebody starts causing trouble the guy's up the door he's gone I remember uh, I don't know I remember being at uh, I hear that's outside here but I did a stint there for years at Kitabella yeah and the stage was so high that when people fell off when people tried to jump up the security pulled them off the stage was like seven feet high we played the Kitabella that's a great thing seven feet high people were laying on the floor yeah. Anyways, um, so could we just believe you because I got to here? But um, um, do you think that like music enriched your life? Like it's was it was this it was a calling to do that? For sure. For sure, music is. Look at look at me. <laughs> You know, I'm just saying. Look uh, what I do when you walk in the door. <laughs> just start playing you know, music. Yeah, start... Every before he came, or every, um, Grant was going through his songs that he was had written in here and produced. And there's a studio behind me here, a full mm-hmm. studio, and uh, you know all that stuff. Um, what I do, Sherwood, Sherwood's was a sort of an offshoot of that. My well, you're in production all your life anyway. Kind of. Yeah, I've been I've been doing all that. My I'd owned a PA and I'd owned a light system and everything, so for me it was an easy. I'd already been doing gigs, you know. As things were starting to slow down, I was already doing gigs. I, I remember I did Bo Diddley in London, for Sherwoods, and and Larry just goes, he calls me up and goes, "Can you do sound for Bo Diddley?" And I'm going, "Yeah, I guess so." And then he goes, "You know what? Do you want to just take your truck and use all your own stuff, and I'll just pay you more?" <laughs> yeah, sure. So Jeff and I, Jeff and I go down and we do, do Bo Diddley. I remember doing, um, anyway, so it was just a, a common fit that you would do, just move on to production, but still playing in bands. You were still playing in bands on the weekends, though. That was my, my agreement with, when I first started Sherwood's with Larry was, I'll come and work for you. He, he wanted to pay me a salary. Okay. I said, okay, to that. I said, but if I get... And at the time, I was still doing it. If I if I have a Wednesday to Saturday, I got to go to Quebec and play Queen One Nighters. I'm going. All right. So I was still doing that at the time. We were still doing the Modern Mount. The Queen thing was was big in Quebec, so we played in Quebec lots. Mm. Well, when I was, you had a truck in '87. I think that's when I saw you. That's when I thought you saw you. The sure. truck was in 87. Yeah, it was... Uh, 96, I started Sherman. Right, but I'm talking about the earlier days when yeah. you had your own truck. Yeah, my own truck. All right, so is there anything else you want to close up with then before we head out? I don't think so. I'm sure I missed a thousand 
things that are interesting to me and might not be interesting to anyone else, but um, did you read Roger's thing he sent out the other day? Roger's? Rod, Roger Pasutkin. No. He sent out a nice thing just about Thanksgiving and how much he loves music and all that kind of stuff. What was it on? It's on his Facebook, I think. But anyways, it was really nice, but I, I always say music is life, life is music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much... <laughs> and for me, that's, you know, this morning, last night, I, I, I'd never listened to it in detail, but for some reason it popped in my head, Wolfgang Van Halen. Right? Yeah. Son of Eddie Van Halen. Well, mm -hmm. he has two albums out. He plays everything. Yeah. They're incredible. Like, I agree. There's as many it. harmonies, at least is what I put in. This, he's an amazing singer. The drumming, you could play in every, any heavy rock band in the world. Guitar playing, spectacular. Bass playing, spectacular. Songwriting, spectacular. Like, again, I, I went to bed at midnight. I woke up this morning, came down to get my phone so I could plug in my in-ears <laughs> and listen to the Mammoth, it's called. Mammoth, that's right. Mammoth. Yeah, like he... When he plays, no, I know a little bit about him. Yeah, when he plays... He's play, incredible. He's when playing he play, in Toronto in November, but... When he plays solos, when he play, when he, when he does his dad's songs, yeah. he plays them just like his dad. For sure. Yeah. And anyway, that just... It just... Uh, it still excites me, I guess. Okay. I still woke up and... I gotta hear. I gotta listen. Yeah. I gotta listen to that this morning before I, before I make a coffee or, or think about doing anything. I'm going down and grab my phone so I can listen to some of that music I, I was listening to last night because I, I love it. I think that, you know, we interviewed Ian Cook's thing came out this week yeah. on on the podcast, yeah. and he's the same kind of guy. He's just like, he's on top. Like he's just excited about everything. Yeah, he's always on talking about something or music or yeah. whatever, right? It's, yeah. all, it's all it's kind of the same same vibe, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm good. We can hear them. All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Here at Pop Minority, things change sometimes. And this happened once before with a Sandra Tyler. We had done the episode, but Sandra had won the Women of the Year Award here in Waterloo Region. And the same thing is happening with us here today. We've been honored. Uh, surprisingly that Grant has been writing songs for years but he's never released them and he's going to mm -hmm. allow us to release this song on the outro you're going to hear it in a minute um, so we're redoing this outro and um, the song is called Save the Girl bonus. what's that? yep and Save the Girl Save the Girl and it's uh, I mean it's a hit it is really good and um this is the first one for us, and I think it's the first one for. Sorry, go ahead. Alan. World premiere. World premiere, yeah. Um, uh, world premiere. And if we we went to. It's Grant's an honor to be the to be the ones that launched them. Pop minority report. Yes, so we were at Grant's house. There's another first. Is we went to Grant's house to do this. It's the first for Pop Minority as well. Correct, Al. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it was a humbling, humbling experience and, and a, a great experience. And, and you never know, uh, you can never judge a book by its cover because uh, I thought he was just a production guy. Meanwhile, he's 
a very gifted, talented musician, song singer, songwriter, uh, arranger, uh, producer, you know, and uh, and a nice man. Yeah, and we were well welcomed at his house, and uh, he's still inspired yeah. to be in the studio sometimes 14 hours a day recording new songs. And I mean, he's just he's been inspired, as you can tell from me, you've watched the episode, he's inspired all his life and continues. So, um, we're just going to finish up here. Thank you, uh, Grant, for letting us do this first take of your song to the public. And here we go. Uh, it's called Save the Girl. See?